Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Welcome to New Day. If you're new, my name is Rich Matthews, and I'm the assistant pastor here for one more day. And then my wife and I are moving to Virginia. This is our, our last Sunday here. And it's really weird. Um, it's, it's finally starting to uh, become real. We packed up all of our stuff. And now the Scott family lives in our house. And all of our stuff is in a house in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I've got a sermon. Like, I've got notes and stuff that we'll go over. Hopefully, maybe. I don't know. Because uh, I'm just really going to miss you guys, and I'm going to miss um, the relationships that we've built. Um, so many of my kids from the youth group are here, and I don't know, it just, it just warms my heart, and I love you guys. Um, hey, Mike, could you stand up for a minute? For those of you guys, yeah, seriously, for those of you guys who don't know who this is, this is Mike Reeves, and if, if I could describe Mike in one word, it's faithful. Um, and I just want to honor you, bro. You're so faithful. And the Lord is so in love with you. Okay? Love you, buddy. Um, so, yeah, we're moving. Um, and it's weird. And I just want to, like, honor you guys. Um, I've had a lot of people say some very nice nice things to Jesse and I um, over the last few weeks. But I want to I wanna communicate that it's really us who have been honored by you and your, your friendship and your, um, just your, your love, the love of Christ expressed through you towards us and towards one another is a real blessing. And it's been a blessing to be a part of it for the last three years. And I want to, um, honor Lloyd and Brenda and say thank you for, uh, for the last three years and what the Lord's done in us, um, is, uh, Really, at least in part because of what you guys saw and allowed us to do here. So thank you. Um, before we get started, I just want to pray. Um, and I, there's some, we're going to be going through a scripture out of Second Corinthians today. And forgive me if it's a little scattered because I'm a little scattered. Deal. Um, but we're going to go through Second um, Corinthians five fourteen through 16. Most of you guys are going to uh, know what that scripture is, or at least if you've been here for a little while, you'll be somewhat familiar with it. Um, but then there's also other little caveats, because it is my last Sunday, so I just want to leave some things and, and pray some things over this congregation, because the Lord has a destiny for this place. How many of you guys believe that? Sometimes, and I know... Because, you know, I've been in relationship with Lloyd and Brenda for a few years, and we've seen the cycle, the church cycle. It's easy to get discouraged or distracted when you see financial issues arise, or you see numbers issues arise. You see attrition, and then you see addition, and then you see new attrition, you see new addition. It's really easy to get downcast. But I want to encourage you and and speak this into this body God has a destiny for this place and this body. There is something that God has deposited here that is unique in Kansas City. 
Own that. Take it in. Ask the Lord what it is and embody it. Personify it. There's a lot of Christians that don't know about the grace of God, much less unsaved. God has deposited that here. There is nothing but life. Nothing but life in the destiny of this place. Amen? So let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. Your love endures forever. You actually love us, God. And that's such an easy truth to wash over with theological banter or just familiarity. But God, I pray that that truth would be uh, fleshed out here in this place. Lord, that we would know that we're loved. Because only people who know that they are loved become good lovers of others. Jesus, we bless you. You are high and lifted up. God, give us eyes to see you as you really are. I love you. Bless New Day Church in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 16. For those of you who have your Bibles, turn them on. That's right. It's 2014, right? No one has a page Bible anymore. That's weird. Whoa! Who let you in here? So ashamed. That might happen a few times. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 16. For the love of God controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded, regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Like I said, for most of you, this is not new information. But, and truth be told, I like seriously struggled with what to speak today. Because honestly, I still don't know what to speak today. <laughs> Too late. So sorry, guys. I think I finished the sermon at 1 o'clock in the morning. This morning. After I watched The Other Guys with Mike. Have you guys seen that movie? It's awesome. It's a cop movie. It's funny. I'm a cop. Whatever. So um, I had no idea what to speak. Because it's difficult. This isn't just like an expository sermon. Hey, we're going through 1 Corinthians or we're going through Galatians. It's like, I'm going to miss you guys. And we've walked together and we have worked together and we've discovered things in the Lord together and uh, so how do you say okay well you get to preach one more time what are you going to preach I don't know but we'll see what happens and so I've been doing a lot of praying and a lot of thinking a lot of pondering I was going to do preach out of Micah and that didn't go anywhere and then but this of 2 Corinthians spoke to me um, because uh, the reality of this verse really resonated as I thought about you and this body. 
Because when I think about this body, I think that the love of God expressed to us and then through us is a defining attribute of our faith. Isn't it? The love of God expressed first to us and then through us. Again, remember, unless you know you're loved, you will not be a good lover. Period. You have to know, you have to have confidence in the love of God. Rooted and grounded love, it says in Ephesians. That we might have power with all the saints to comprehend what is this love? Do you know your love this morning? If I could leave one thing with this body, you are loved of God. Because if you get that reality, if that nugget sinks down deep into your soul, everything else falls into place. I don't have to tell you to love other people. If you know you are loved by God and you've been confronted by that reality, it happens naturally. It's called the new creation. You're loved. The love of God expressed to us. We own it. We eat it. It becomes who we are, and then it's expressed through us. We become Christ in the earth. As he is, so are we in this world. Amen? That's what I want to leave you guys with. And so that, this verse really begins to communicate that. We're controlled by love, he says, for the love of God controls us. Or in some translation says it compels us. The love of God is expressed in the cross, isn't it? The greatest expression of love in all of the universe, in all of history, not human history, all of history is the cross of Christ. Where the uncreated, transcendent God of all of the universe who speaks and nothing becomes something, light shoots out of darkness, land appears, it's all kinds of cool, weird stuff he can do with his voice. It's better than ventriloquism, it really is. He can create stuff with words. His voice resonates through the universe and creation happens. This God clothed himself in flesh, he became a man. And though humanity had fallen, we had chosen to believe a lie, and we were fallen. He looked upon us in a fallen state, remember. Not just realizing potential, but actually seeing beauty. He says no to the wages of sin and death. He clothes himself in flesh, and he becomes our righteousness. The purest expression of love in all of the history of the universe is the cross of Christ where the uncreated God became a man and took on all of our failures and gave us all of his success. All of his goodness for all of our sin. It's pretty awesome. The dead human heart is confronted by a resurrection power found in the cross and the holy love that is manifest in it. You guys re- remember, we were dead, right? The Bible says that unequivocally. The cross introduces life to an entity that has never experienced it before. It's not a new and cool way of life. It is life instead of death. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived once in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and the mind, 
And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, which with he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together in Christ. Central theme of the cross. You were dead. God saw you and said, I love you and gave you life. So the love of God is expressed in the cross, and the cross introduces resurrection life to a dead corpse. Boom! We're alive for the first time. For the first time we live. And so why does Paul say that the love of God is controlling him? Why does he say that? Well, Paul knew more than most what was the power of the cross. What was Paul doing? Paul was like a professional thug. In the name of the Lord. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. A super intellectual, zealous follower of the Hebrew law. And he saw Jesus. Paul was around when Jesus walked. He probably heard some of his sermons. Paul was there. And he was mad with the rest of the Pharisees. And so when Jesus died, resurrected, and then went to heaven, and all of a sudden... Boom, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit decides, okay, I'm going to establish my kingdom on the earth now. And the Christians begin converting people. And, oh my gosh, this is a new weird sect of of Judaism. I'm mad now because this is blasphemy. And so Paul, this zealous Hebrew scholar, decides, I'm going to start killing people. Because that's what God would do if he were here in the flesh. No. No. Anyway, so Paul starts beating, imprisoning, and, and killing people. He was there when Stephen was first was stoned. The first Christian martyr, he was standing there holding the coats for the people throwing the stones. Paul was a professional thug with the seal of approval from the religious establishment of the day. And then one day, he gets new papers to go to Damascus and start persecutions there. You got actual papers, like, yes, here are your persecution papers. Do enjoy. He gets them, jumps on a horse, starts riding to Damascus, and God's like, ah, check this out. No. Boom. Jesus appears. He gets knocked off his horse. He's blinded for three days. He gets, he gets into Damascus. One of the disciples of Christ comes, lays hands on him. He's healed. He's never the same. So years and years and years later, Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and he says that the love of God controls us. Look at Paul's perspective. If anyone knew about resurrection life, this man was a murderer. Believing he was murdering for God, killing the followers of Christ, and that same Christ, and that same God he thought he was his following, the father and the son are the same person, appears calls him what he is not, gives him a new destiny, which was actually his destiny all along. That beauty was there. He calls it out of him. And so Paul, being somebody who had fully experienced the weird and illogical love of Christ, says, this love controls me now. Paul experienced and became convinced of God's love for him. And it undid him with respect to every other human being he came in contact with. Does that make sense? 
He didn't see a distinction between what God did for him and what God wants to do for every single human being. The expression of God's love to him in his mind meant God wants this for all men to be made alive. So he didn't see a distinction between him and everyone else and the love of Christ that was now alive, burning inside of him like a nuclear reaction became the controlling force of his life. He traveled the world and preached the gospel. It controlled him because he'd become convinced of it. He had an interaction with it. It changed him. Paul states that he's convinced that because Christ died for all, therefore all died. Paul knew that just as Christ was raised, God desired resurrection for all men. Paul was convinced, so we must be convinced that the price has been paid for all of humanity. And the heart of God yearns for everyone who calls on his name. The heart of God yearns for everyone who doesn't, too. He yearns for, God, for, for humanity to come to repentance. I'm, I call myself a realist. I'm more of a pessimist sometimes. I'm just trying to dress it up nice so people don't look at me like a jerk. But I do, I do. My mom knows. I read way too much news. Bad for pessimists. Because there's not a whole lot of good news that gets reported. Ten good things can happen in today and one bad thing. And the one bad thing will control the news cycle for two weeks. And like tickers on the bottom of the screen explaining things that you didn't care about. But you're like, oh, I should care about that now. It's really irritating. But I, I get sucked in. You know, everything that's going on in the Middle East, it burdens me. How many of you guys are burdened by what's going on in the Middle East right now? We need to pray for the church in Iraq. We need to pray for ISIS. Because the heart of God yearns for them. That's a whole bunch of Pauls right now, man. They worship Allah, and they think they're serving God. And by serving God, they're going to wipe out the, the heretic threat on the earth that is not bringing glory to God. That's a whole bunch of Pauls. Jesus bring revival. Jesus, reveal your name to them. Could you imagine if the hate, the concentrated violence and hate that they participate in on a daily basis is confronted by resurrection life? What does it turn into? Powerful evangelism. Unhindered love. That's what it turns into. Concentrated hate, when it comes into interaction with the holiness of God and the Spirit of the Lord, becomes concentrated love. And it changes the world. Ask Paul. He did it. Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul draws attention to the purpose of the redeemed life when he says that those who live might no longer live for themselves. The truth remains that the gospel first deals with this life. Amen? How many of you guys see a distinction between the life we live here and the life we will live in eternity? 
It's easy to see that distinction, but it's actually a continuation. We're not meant to get saved and then just cool our heels and wait for the sweet by and by. The gospel changes us now. It impacts us now. It impacts the world now. That abundant life that Jesus promised is for now. And it's transformation life that makes it possible. Jesus came to give abundant life. And the only way that life is possible is when we choose to say yes to the new man. We've, uh, the past few sermons that I've preached, we've talked about that, that volition that we have been given as human beings. I, I think uh, Michael said it really well today, that God <clears throat> actually does desire voluntary love. He could have made robots. Like we could have been just a bunch of, I love Jesus. Jesus is my friend. <laughs> Who's seen that video? Anyone? No? <laughs> Jesus is a friend of mine. <laughs> I have a friend in Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> that kills me. No, seriously, God could have made robots that just loved him because that's what they were made to do. We have volition. We have will. We have choice. And so God says, I have given you a new creation. I just want you to say yes to it. And have faith. I love Brenda's word today. We all have faith in something. It's time we plug that faith into Jesus. And we have faith that the abundant life is actually available for us when we say yes to everything that, Christ is, that God is for us in Christ. Amen? It's God's desire that we manifest the Son in our frame. We love as he loved. We serve as he served. And we proclaim the kingdom that he proclaimed. And that can be a little sticky sometimes um, because we've got 2,000 years of of differing theologies and stuff, it's easy to get bogged down in it. What kingdom did Jesus proclaim? Proclaim the kingdom of God. We have to be careful not to preach and proclaim our own brand of the kingdom at the exclusion of all these other brands of the kingdom. There are some, there's heresy out there. You'll know it. Have discernment. Love the Lord. You'll, you'll, you'll smell it. it. Smells like dirty gym socks. But the reality is we preach the kingdom that he preached. And we could, I mean, we could go into, go into that for days on what that looks like. Maybe Lloyd will do that. I'm sure he has several times. Right, Lloyd? He preaches the kingdom. But we preach the kingdom that he, he proclaimed. We live Christ and we proclaim Christ because we have become convinced of his great love. Going back to the beginning... That being convinced of who we are in Christ is a cornerstone reality of the new creation and the abundant life that God has called us to. Without that knowledge, we cannot walk in the authority God has given us to walk in. Without the knowledge of who we are in Christ and how we are enveloped in the greatest love story in all of the universe, no matter what you've done, because of Christ's love, he has made you alive and calls you beautiful. I've done too much. Shut up! Stop talking about how much bad you've done and start talking about how good God is for loving us because he has loved us with an unfailing love. Let's get off the finding reasons why God can't love us and we can't live free. Let's get off that. It's done. It's finished. God loves you. 
He rejoices over you. He dances over you. The scripture actually says that. That the Lord thinks about you and he dances. Is that, is that a real... Dude, let that sink in. Seriously. If you have to, meditate on that for the next month. God dances. Cool. But God dances over me. He doesn't just dance over me because that's what he does. Something happens in the heart of God when he thinks about you. Have you ever had that happen? Parents, spouses, when you think about that b- beloved person, I can tell you as a, as a husband and a father, when I think about those two ladies, something happens in me. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just love. It's, it's a tangible something that's going on in... I don't know. It's just there. But it prompts me to do weird stuff and say sappy things. I'm not a sappy guy. But when God looks at you, in his heart, and it causes him to dance, become convinced of that. That's a total rabbit trail. But without that knowledge, we can't even get to the next part of the verse. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. It's impossible to regard no one according to the flesh if you still regard yourself according to the flesh. You will not be able to look at humanity the way God does if you can't even see yourself the way God sees you. So we regard no one according to the flesh any longer. We regard them according to the Spirit of God. What is true, what God says is true about you is the only true thing about you. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of facades. We have a lot of people speaking all kinds of stuff over us on a daily basis. I don't know if any of you have have ever been bullied or you just have really difficult coworkers or something. There's always a voice, usually it's a human voice, speaking garbage into you. And then you believe it. Find yourself sitting on your bed thinking, well, maybe I am such a jerk. Maybe I am useless. Because someone said something about you. I just want to tell you, the only true thing about you is what God says about you. So you need to know what God says about you. He loves you. You're really pretty. You're really destined for joy. You're valuable beyond valuable. That's God's word to you. That's how God sees you. It's difficult when you're constantly confronted by the reality of the flesh. And I, I speak to, I've got a couple coworkers here this morning. You know what I'm talking about. These guys know me better than most of you because they've seen me in a squad room. If you want to know, ask them. I'm not going to repeat it here. <clears throat> but it's difficult. We re- I read this scripture, and this is a conflict in my heart. I'm going to be vulnerable with you for a minute. This is the conflict of my heart, because I can't say. You know, Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I regard everyone according to the flesh. I'm not going to stand up here and say I've arrived somewhere. Now I see all people through the lens of the Holy Spirit. I don't. I see a whole bunch of fleshy people. I see everyone's sin, and I see everyone's victories. I see everyone's failures, and I make snap judgments on people. That's what I do. Part of it, when I'm at work, 
is necessary. However, the, that's not how we're meant to, to look at human beings. But it's difficult when you're confronted by the reality of the flesh. But what this simply means, when it says we regard, regard no one according to the flesh, what that actually means is that we submit our reference point, which is a valid reference point. We, we, we have it. It's there. But we submit our reference point to God's reference point. We actually choose to say that God's reality is more important and more valid than ours. His lens is clearer than ours. We submit to God's reference point. This means when we look at people, we assign the value that is assigned by God to them. Do we value people with the same value that God does? Because that changes everything. That transcends actions. It transcends failures. It transcends successes. It transcends ugly. It transcends beautiful. It transcends everything. And it boils down to baseline reality. I have made them in my image and they are mine. And they are valuable enough that I would clothe myself in flesh and take on every wage of sin so that they could be exalted and glorified with me because, Father, I have desired that those you have given me would be with me where I am and see my glory. Jesus said before he went to the cross, he kind of laid out his, this is what I want, God, and I want all of them with me. And I want them with the same glory that I have that I had with you. And I want them unified in the same way that we're unified. Do we see humanity with that value? I don't. I want to. Jesus, give me that lens. So the love of God knows no boundaries and it has no limit. And people meet. The Christ that people meet is the Christ that's reflected in us. Let's be people who actually say yes and reflect the heart of God to those around us. Amen? It is a choice, guys. We can walk through life, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm a firm believer in, in eternal security at this point. You can, you can get saved, be filled with the Holy Spirit, but then you can make really foolish decisions and make sinful decisions and, and live below that abundant lifeline and still be with God. But I tell you what, in this life, people will only meet the Christ that's reflected in us. Sometimes Jesus like appears, like I've heard stories where he appears in like dreams or visions and stuff and preaches the gospel to people and they're radically saved. By and large, the Jesus people meet are the Jesus, is the Jesus in you and the Jesus in me. So let's open up our heart and give full vent to that. Primarily, that means we love well. Amen? We regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This scripture also means that we assign Christ the value that is assigned by God, his Father. And that's something that I want to bring us back to because in, at least in my heart, it can be tempting when just bathing in the grace and the love of God that I start looking at myself too much. I want, to, I, want, I want eyes to see Jesus as he is. You guys believe Jesus is beautiful? 
I love, dude, when, when Michael Brimer is singing that song, Beautiful, which we're going to do again. It's, I think the last three or four times I've preached, we've done that song at the end because it's awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> Jesus is beautiful. He's glorious. The picture that we get <clears throat> in Revelation, that's my Lou Engel coming up. Sorry. <laughs> the picture that we get. The picture that we get in Revelation of the beauty of God, of the beauty of Christ, is astounding. And all of these angels and all these created beings and all these elders and all of these people that have lived, they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And they cry, worthy is the Lamb to receive all glory and all honor and all power and all strength. All things created and uncreated were created by Him and for Him. This is the Christ we serve. This is Jesus. He's beautiful. He's powerful. The fear of the Lord is not a bad thing, people. I'm not afraid of Jesus. But oh my gosh, he's gorgeous. The awe of the Lord just blasts my heart when I meditate on him. He's uncreated. And he created all things. It makes the love of God that much more amazing that he could focus that much pure energy Pure love energy on a created thing. He made it. How could he love it that much? He does. Jesus. He's high and lifted up. We do not assume he is like us. Rather, we recognize that we are made to be like him. That's, a good, that's good news. The, Jesus Christ is nothing like your old man. But Jesus Christ is everything like your new man. What you were created to function in as a new creation is a reflection of Jesus Christ. Do we always reflect it? Trust me. No. But that's what I was created for. I can throw, you know, old Kentucky Fried Chicken grease in my gas tank if I have a diesel run for a little while, but pretty soon it'll get gummed up. We can, we can throw bad stuff in our engine as believers for a little while, but I, I promise you it'll get gummed up. We don't always reflect Christ, but we are created to reflect him. That's who you are. That's your identity, guys. Say yes to it. The man who has met Christ stands in awe of absolute majesty. Both in this life and in the life to come, Jesus is glorious. Amen. So my prayer for New Day as we conclude this morning that this body would be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That this body would be controlled by God's love for this city and the world. That this body would be alive just as Christ was alive. And that this body would regard all things and all people in light of the Spirit of God, not according to the flesh. It's called the gospel. And as we personify it, lost humanity actually touches divinity. When people see you and they don't know Jesus yet, when they see you, when they meet you, when they hear you, when they are loved by you, they're touching the divine. 
the love of God that has existed from be, before the beginning of time. The love of God for all humanity existed before humanity did. And an unredeemed soul, when they come into contact with you as you love them, tastes it for the first time. It's resurrection life touching that corpse. Breath fills their lungs for the first time. The world needs the gospel, guys. Every once in a while, if you do read the news, let that inform your opinion. I'm trying. I I promise I'm trying. Because usually I'm just like, we need to vote more. Shut up, Rich. We need to pray. And we need to ask the Lord for a move of the gospel in the earth that actually touches people with genuine Holy Spirit love. And that's what we are. Amen? Why else did God establish New Day except to be a fruit tree in a barren land? That's why you're here. That's why this place exists. It doesn't exist for a two-hour, three-hour service, whatever, on a Sunday morning. It doesn't exist so that there's a good children's ministry and there's something you can do. It exists so that the desire of Christ expressed in John 17 can erupt from this place and touch the city. It's more than a gathering of people. It's more than music. It's more than a building. You guys are the introduction to the divine for this city. Embrace it. Know God loves you. And let that inform your love for all men. Amen? That is all I have for you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. Lord, you have said that we are lovely. And Lord, because we're now alive and can have opinions, we say you're lovely. Lord, we understand, and I'm, I'll kind of go back and forth. I had the, I forget, I think I was talking to Lloyd about this. You know, we're, you, there's always the question, do we hold on to God or does he hold on to us? Yes. Our grip is pretty ridiculous. And I only know that now because I'm a parent. And my daughter loves to hold my finger. She thinks it's like, like we're crossing the street, Okay. She says, no, Amen, do. And I say, no, Avon, you have to hold daddy's hand. So she'll reach up and she'll grab my finger. Does that do anything? Not functionally. I mean, at the end of the day, it's pretty easy to break that grip. But I have her. My grip's a lot stronger. Does God hold on to us or do we hold on to God? Yes. And no, your holding on to God isn't going to secure you for the, for the day of the Lord. His holding on to you does. But your holding on to him means something to him. And it means something to you. I know it means something to Avon. When she holds my finger, she's engaging. And it's her good pleasure to do so. And it blesses my heart. When I feel that little finger coming up and grabbing it. (laughs) Guys, 
Hold on to Jesus. It blesses his heart. He's holding on to you. Jesus, we hold on to you this morning. As we worship you, we hold on to you. We rejoice that you actually have us secured. But we got a little bit. And whatever we have, it's all yours. We just want to be with you. You're really awesome. You're fun. You're beautiful and you're awesome. You're God. You said no to sin and death. You didn't hold our sins against us. You took them from us. And you wrapped up your righteousness in a beautiful bow and you gave it to us. You called us things that we didn't deserve like holy, pure, righteous, good. You're you're something else, Jesus. And Father, I, I know Jesse and I are leaving this place. We're always connected to it. But I pray as we leave this place that you're the waterfalls of blessing would just inundate this congregation. Lord, that you would breathe life, that you would hover as you hovered over the waters of creation. You would hover over this place and over Lloyd and Brenda and that you would breathe, breathe, breathe into them. Lord, that this would be a place of fire, that this would be a place of wind, Lord, that this will be a place of revelation and true love. God, raise up leaders in this place that know how to love. Would you do that? You love New Day, God. Breathe your life in this place. And open the eyes of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen.